Welcome to the One Player Podcast, Inc., the show on solitaire board gaming. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 64. How to succeed in business without really working. Welcome to the episode that almost didn't happen. I was going to record this last night, and um, my computer said it was doing an update, and it was touching the bootloader. And when it finished, I had to reboot, and my computer was not rebooting. It looked bricked. I did eventually, as in this morning, figure out that the uh, the problem is if my microphone is plugged in when I turn on the computer, it won't boot. Go figure. Uh, so the news. I've got a few things. Um, first up, Fantasy Flight has announced an expansion for Eldritch Charter called The Mountains of Madness. It's a, It looks like it's a bigger expansion with a board and everything. And I haven't gotten Eldritch Horror yet, but let me tell you, uh, an expansion of Mountain of Madness really makes me want to get it. Also by Fantasy Flight, they've announced another deluxe expansion for Lord of the Rings Living Card Game, The Lost Realm. It deals with uh, the North and the Rangers of the North. As it seems to be uh, their pattern after that, they'll probably publish another set of six mini-expansions. And I skipped out on the last series they had on, uh, I think it was on Rohan, but this one sort of interests me. Uh, third item, there's uh, going to be an expansion for Room 25. It's called Room 25 Season 2. Uh, I believe one of the complaints people had about Room 25 was that all the characters were exactly the same. It just seemed a little bit lame to people that way. This expansion does have unique character abilities and obviously uh, more room tiles. So I should, I should probably verify that before I say it, shouldn't I? But let's move on. GMT Games has announced a, a new game. A new solitaire game called Comanchere. Let me try that again. Comancheria, the rise and fall of the Comanche Empire. This is based on Joel Toppin's Navajo Wars. It's the next game in the series, and it's going to be using similar mechanics. It's up in their, it's up on GMT's P500 page now, so you could go ahead and pre-order it for about forty-five dollars plus shipping. In the news, I have one game that's actually out, which is Don't Tread on Me, the American Revolution solitaire board game. This is being published by White Dog Games, and it is designed by Ben Madison. He's designed quite a few other solitaire games. He's done Mound Builders, for example, which is a victory point game, and uh, Swing State 2012, another victory point game. And the last item of news I have is actually not about solitaire gaming at all, quite the contrary, but I was asked to mention it on the podcast. Um, I'm guessing they asked a lot of different podcasts to mention this, but there is a, a convention in Utah called BryceCon at Bryce Canyon. Just outside Bryce Canyon. Um, it'll be in January, the weekend of the 16th through the 18th. I'm sorry, through the 19th. It's a long weekend because that's Martin Luther King Day on that Monday. Pre-registration is only $20, day, $20 for the full three-day weekend. Rooms are as low as 45 a night, so it's pretty affordable if you, if you are in that area or would like to go out to Bryce Canyon that time of year. I've been to Bryce Canyon. It is a gorgeous place. Probably one of my very favorite national parks. Of the few I've seen. Um, so I say it's worth it. I have no idea what it's like in the winter, but it's in the south, so it should be warm, right? Now, I know that's not necessarily true because it's up in the mountains, probably. I know a lot of that area, that part of the country is high, high altitude. It actually might be pretty cold. I don't know. But uh, definitely, if you're in the area or would like to visit that area, definitely check it out. It's uh, BryceCon.com. So for this episode, I was thinking about talking about randomness in games. And I've mentioned randomness before, but you know, today's game has some random mechanics or specific to the solitaire game. 
and they're in there basically to control the AI. And, you know, so I played the game and I had fun with it. And so I thought, you know, how it, it made me think, what kind, what mechanics do I like in a solitaire game? And so I started uh, thinking about different types of mechanics and it always came back to randomness in the game. Um, and yeah, it makes sense for a solitaire game. You really need some sort of randomness. Otherwise it becomes very deterministic and, and has very limited playability. For example, a game like Goran Labora, it, uh, the setup is the same every single time you play. There's two or three scenarios to pick from, but it's still, it's the same setup depending on the scenario. And if you make the exact moves, you'll get the exact same result. So the game has limited play in that sense. You know, on the other hand, it is complex enough that you could play it many, many times and it'll be different every time depending on what actions you choose. But that isn't really random. That's chaotic and to me, that doesn't feel as satisfying. And so thinking about randomness, I was trying to think, what kind of random mechanics do I like? And I, I, can't, I was thinking there's different things, such as uh, that choice decision that you get, like in Robinson Crusoe, you get a card and you got to choose, do I, do I take it now or let the, and use up an action or let the bad thing happen? And it's, sometimes it's a tough choice. And I think that's basically what I like in games is tough choices. Randomness is obviously necessary. But my favorite kind of randomness is when you have, when you're left choosing between two different options and you've got to decide which you think is the most important. You know, there's also the kind of randomness where you're rolling a die just to see the result of, say, for example, of a combat. That's fun and that's tense too sometimes, but not as satisfying when I'm actually, I feel like I'm making a choice and trying to, trying to make the best choice and, and then dealing with the consequences of that, whether good or bad. I do think not, that's not going to be true for every single game, but I do, generally speaking, think that's my favorite. I know in some, like I was saying, a solitaire war game, the the results of combat is random. You know, and that, that works out really well, and that's satisfying too, and especially because you're probably making the choices of where you're going to advance into, and you're, you're thinking, gosh, should I go here to the left, or should I go to the right? And you make that choice not knowing what the outcome is going to be, either way, because of the uh, the random combat, but you still have that that choice you're making and that's satisfying just the result of that choice is is done with a random die roll a lot of times and it's not true for all war games but it definitely is true for many of them so you know i don't have a lot to say this time but i think what i really like in solitaire game is is being given a tough choice and and there's many ways to accomplish it but but that tends to make the game the most satisfying experience usually okay so yeah not really a lot to say this time i've been too busy lately to to really have time to sit down and think about these things and prepare for the show. So I am going to jump into today's game. Today's game is Global Mogul. It is published by Mayfair Games. It was designed by Bill Crenshaw. It was released in 2013 and it is for one through four players. This is a game about global business. Um, you're buying and invest. You're investing in companies and buying companies, and. <clears throat> Excuse me, and producing things and selling goods. Um, so it's very, very businessy, I guess. Global conglomerate sort of businessy. This is a worker placement game, but it also has some area control in it. So the goal of this game is basically to, to make money, to be able to win contracts so they can get your victory points, and invest in different re regions, which basically are going to give you goods and victory points. So in this game, you get like four player boards and a, a game board. And these are basically printed like on, on heavy-duty cardstock. So they're very soft. 
and you get some solitaire rules, you get the rule book, you get some wooden cubes for the players, you've got a lot of resource counters and money counters, and then a bunch of different cards. There's six types of resources. They are blue-collar workers, white-collar workers, lumber, oil, technology, and gold. Some of these are more valuable than others, and the more valuable ones are going to be more expensive to produce and not, and can be produced in as many places, I think. Okay, you also have a bunch of cards. There are contract cards. They could be government contracts or private contracts. If you take a contract card, it's basically you're agreeing to produce something for somebody. And each contract card has a number of resources listed on it. When you produce those resources, you will get paid for the contract. And the, how much you get paid is mentioned on the bottom. And you're also going to get victory points for the contract. The private contracts tend to pay more than the government contracts, but the government contracts are worth more victory points than the private contracts. So there's a bit of a trade-off. There is also companies that you could invest or buy. Um, each of these companies is basically going to give you some kind of benefits. They, some will let you produce an extra good every turn when you produce a good. It, some will let you make more money when you sell your or you accomplish your contracts, or let you invest in more regions, which I haven't mentioned yet. Basically, they each give you a different benefit in the game. And then the fourth type, the last type, is the different regions where you can invest in. There's a card for, well, there's regions, the cards are broken up into four regions. Um, The Middle East, North and South America, Europe, and Asia. Actually, and the Middle East is Middle East and Africa, anyway. And each, and then there's different areas in these cards, which is generally a country. I think they might all be a country. There's you know, America, United States. There's United Kingdom, or maybe Great Britain. I remember there's South Africa and so on. Uh, each of these cards will have a number of resources on it, and uh, you could invest in those resources. You basically buy into it, and you put a cube on it, and now whatever resource. You put your coupon on that card. Whenever you produce resources, you'll produce one more of that type. The types of resources available vary by country. For example, in South Africa, South Africa is known to to have a lot of gold and gold mines, so that one has gold available. Uh, in the United States, it ha- tends to have more technology, I believe oil and gold. Oh, well, probably not gold. White-collar workers. Um, there's three levels of countries. There's the lowest level, they have three spaces to invest in. The mid have four, and the high end have five. For example, the United States has five investment spaces. And a small country, um, I think like South Africa, only has three spaces. Uh, so, so that's basically the main components. Besides that, I mentioned there's a player board. It's basically to keep track of the actions you've taken and how many resources you're producing. You could always just check in the, by looking at all the different market cards you could produce, but it's much easier to just check that chart. Um, the way the game works is each there's six turns. It's not very much at all. In each turn, you're going to take a, an action, and there's ten different action types, which I, I think of seven. There's ten actions, and I consider them se- seven types of actions. They're all a little bit different, I guess. The first two are to invest in a market. There are open markets. And they're emerging markets. And these are basically putting your cubes on the cards that have the resources. They're called uh, market cards. When you set up the board, you're going to set up four cards as 
open markets that already exist, and you're going to set up four emerging markets. Each turn, the emerging markets will either become open markets if they've been invested in or get discarded, and then we add four new emerging markets. So one of the investments you could do is you could invest in open markets, and, and for that, you put up one through three cubes on up to two different open market cards. Uh, you put the cube on the space, it tells you how much it costs to buy that space, and if it's an open market, well these are, you mark that you're producing one more good of that type on your player board. If you've invested in at least two spaces on that card, on that market card, you might be eligible to control that card, and if so you'll get to put a little control marker on it. That'll be worth victory points at the end of the game. Um, invest. The second action is investing in open market, or I'm sorry, in emerging markets. It works basically the same. The only difference is that when you invest in an emerging markets, you're not going to be eligible to get the resources this same turn. It won't be available till next turn. Um, you could take contracts. There's an action to take government contracts, an action to take private contracts. It works basically the same. You just pick one of the available contract cards. Uh, you could buy a company, which is just pick one of the available company cards and pay for it. You could produce resources. Now, this is basically for each of the cubes that you have on these open market spaces. When you produce resources, you get one resource of that type for each cube. You could raise venture capital. That's something that a player could always do is they just put a little marker, a little cube, a worker mark cube on the venture capital and collect money. And so it's, and it's, you know, free money. It's great. The next section is buy and sell resources. You could get rid of resources you just don't need or buy some you do. That tends to be uh, not a great way to do things, I think, because you sell for a little and you buy for a lot. And beside, and the final two actions are to get more worker cubes. I didn't mention the worker cubes, but everything you do pretty much requires worker cubes and you have a limited resource. So, for example, putting those, the, investing in the markets, for each, each uh, resource you're investing in, you can have to put a little cube on it. So you could do between one and three cubes each turn. For example, if you do the venture capital a lot, where you're always getting money from the, from the bank for free, you can have fewer cubes to put out on the other spaces. Now you have a total of 27 cubes, so there's a lot, but still a little bit limited. Now those last two actions I was saying, when you start the game, a number of the cubes are not yet available to use. You need to use those last two actions to, to make those cubes available. One gives you two cubes, the other gives you one cube and $10. Um, so I, I went through the actions. I didn't tell you how to set up for a turn. You're, each turn you can have, um, for the for the solitaire game, you're going to have three government contracts, four private contracts, four companies, four, well, whatever number of open markets, you start with four, and then four emerging markets. And and then once you've got that set up and ready, you can start taking your actions for the turn. Now, in the base game, well, yeah, in the, in the base game, you get five actions each turn, which is pretty good. It always feels like, oh, I wish I could do a little bit more. But, but you have that in the advanced game, right, what they call the standard game, you start with three actions per turn, which is nothing. And it's just like, oh my god, I can't do a thing. But you could earn three more. So you could have up to six by the end of the game. And you earn, you earn one by completing a private contract. You earn one by completing a government contract. And you earn the third by having at least one resource cube in each of the four regions. Like I say, in the standard game, you start and you feel like that you can't do anything because you've only got three actions and you really need more. Um, 
by the end of the game, you could finally have you have six actions. Oh, you could do a lot of stuff every turn. It feels like, but you still never feel like you're you're catching up. You always feel like you're behind, and and it's pretty neat actually. I, I, I like that. It made the game feel challenging. I mentioned this game is also an area control game. Um, now that's all with the markets. Uh, I already mentioned you're gonna control if you have at least two cubes on a card, you can control that market, that country. Um, but also there's also the four regions at the end of the game. Whoever controls each region, as in controls the most markets in each region, is going to get victory points. And on top of that, whoever controls the largest regions is going to get victory points. So you're you're managing trying to control the regions, and you're, you're trying to control all the regions at the same time, and not just focusing on the ones where where there's resources you need sometimes. So you end up making choices where where you got to decide: Do I want to control, do I want to get a resource that I need, or do I want to invest in a market that I'm not currently in that I need to get into? I already said if you have at least two cubes, you're eligible to control a market. Um, if it's a tie for the most, then the tie goes to whoever has the most cubes in that region. If that's still tied, then it's whoever has the right most space on that specific card. So, so there's a lot of choices about what to invest in and what to invest in. And at the end of the game, um, the region control does make a pretty good chunk of the score. I think probably more than half the score will come from the the market cards. Um, so I basically told you how the game works. You're going to be investing in markets, then producing goods from these markets. Then you're going to be taking contracts and accomplishing the contracts. To accomplish a contract, as soon as you have the resources to accomplish a contract, you just turn it in. You keep you set the card aside for your points. And you collect your money. You can do it at any time it happens, whether you do it by producing resources or buying resources or, or whatever. Um, so that, that's basically how the game works. And I said that I mentioned the cubes are limited. You're putting cubes on, on everything pretty much. When you uh, when you invest in a market, you got to put a cube on for each resource. When you take a contract, you're gonna put a resource cube on the. You're gonna put a cube on that card, a worker cube. Um, when you invest in a company, you're going to put a cube on that company. It's, again, all these require cubes. Uh, you get cubes back automatically when you complete a contract from that contract. So that's good to do. And you could also get cubes back when you invest in the, with, with a venture capitalist. You could actually pay back the venture capitalist and get that cube back. Um, now the way the solitaire game works that's different from the multiplayer game is, the solitaire game is basically it's, you're using the two-player rules, but and you're playing against an AI called Random Player. Uh, I should give you an idea what the AI is like. Each and it's not entirely random, but basically each turn, the AI will take the first uh, contract card of like on odd turns it takes the first government contract, on even turns it takes the first private contract. It always takes the first company, and it randomly invests in open markets, and you do that by rolling two dice, which are not included in the game. Um, so you really don't know what that player is going to do. You know, if you're playing a multiplayer game, you might have an idea what kind of strategy that your opponent's taking. For example, you know, if he's got one cube in a region and nobody else's cubes in that region, or I'm sorry, in a in a country, you will get victory points if if you have two cubes on it. You know, it's likely the 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 person's going to want to invest a second cube in there for victory points. Uh, with random AI, you just never know. And as a matter of fact, once they invest in the open market, they ignore that card for the rest of the game. 
so the strategy ends up being a little bit different in the multiplayer game. But even though the the random AI is random, I do find that as I'm playing, I have strategies against it. You know, I, I've got mixed feelings about random random player. Um, she is kind of random, so sometimes she does really well, sometimes she does really poorly in in both the action she takes and and which how many victory points she gets uh, from contracts. Um, in my experience, in, in a game where she does poorly, you're just going to be able to win more easily. In a game where, where she does better, you're going to actually have to work for that victory. So it's a little bit hit or miss. But um, overall, I found the game fun. E- either way, I find it very challenging to to feel like I could work up and, and have a successful engine going by the end of the game. Just like, again, because you have so few actions. Um, and you always really feel like you need one at least one more action to be able to do everything you want that turn. Uh, what I don't like about the game so much is the components. The, the people have complained about the quality, and I guess I have to agree with it. Um, the art is a little plain, though. You know, when I look at the art, it looks like a power... The, the, the player cards and all that, they look like a PowerPoint slides, honestly. Like somebody put this together in PowerPoint... Which is a great feel for a business game. Just not very exciting. It is very functional though. All the information, for example, is on the player board or just about all the information. And it's super handy. Um, it's just not much to look at, I guess. And the the different icons for the resources, they look like they're PowerPoint clip art, Microsoft clip art or something. So, you know, again, it feels like the sort of thing you'd see in a business Maybe not a world-class business, but maybe so. I mentioned I've got mixed feelings about the random AI, but I really like the gameplay. I, I found it really fun, and I could set up the game, play it, and take it apart back in about an hour. The setup is a little bit hard because you got the four types of cards, and when you set up the game, there's A cards and B cards. The game's going to be divided into two parts. The first three turns are A, and the second three turns are B. So you separate the cards by A and B, and you shuffle them up, and use only those cards. However, for the contracts, there's A cards, AB cards, and B cards. Did you get that? A, AB, B. Okay. Um, so when you set it up, you're going to mix some of the ABs into the A pile and some into the B pile. And then you'll shuffle them up. So, so that takes a little bit longer. I mean, setting up is not too bad because what I do every time when I finish the game is I resort the cards. You're either going to do that up front or at the end. Um, but again, it's about an hour for the whole thing. I think maybe an hour and a half. I don't know, including the setup and breakdown. No, I, I'm pr- I played it in an hour. I started the other night. It started at nine thirty. I was done by ten thirty. Um, so that's pretty good. That's that's nice and satisfying time for that. A very fast and easy time. I think this game is a lot of fun. I haven't had a chance to play multiplayer, but I think it'll be a lot of fun. It looks a lot of, be a lot of fun. It's more interactive that way. You know, in the way that Agricola is interactive. So there you go, that's that's Global Mogul. It's a game I've enjoyed. I think it's a it's probably better as a multiplayer game than a solitaire game. It is satisfying as a solitaire game. Um and I think it'll be a pretty good multiplayer game. If if it sounds interesting, just you know, be warned that the art is kinda of plain, don't expect a lot from it. But um still, I mean the game is this is a good solid game. Well, that's the end of today's episode. 
If you'd like to contact me, you can find me as Fractaloon on BoardGameGeek, or you can email me at OnePlayerAlbert at gmail.com. You can also post comments on the Podcast Geek List on BoardGameGeek, or come visit the One Player Guild on BoardGameGeek for comments and discussion and whatnot. The intro music is copyright Angus and is protected under a Creative Commons license and can be found at gemendo.com. The show is published under Creative Commons non-commercial share-alike license. Thanks for listening.